0: Well, happy Mother's Day to you, and we're going to be looking at Proverbs 31 this morning in honor of the moms this morning. I uh, have the bookmark that the junior hires passed around a few moments ago. If for some reason one did not get handed to you for whatever reason, we have them on the back table as you exit out. Also, there are some junior hires, I think, who have been handing these to some of the moms that are coming in. But anyway, we don't want to miss you. It's got some great scripture on this uh, bookmark. One scripture I'm going to allude, allude to later on in the message. Also, I wanted to mention that we had a new life uh, come into our midst uh, this week. We had a new baby born. The baby's name is Trevor Jacob Pendley, child to Matt and Kel- Kelly Pendley, who are long-time Uh, members in our church and Matt is a police officer for Anchorage Anchorage Grace or Anchorage Police Department rather and uh, well yeah we have the Anchorage Grace Police Department as well but anyway no. Um, Anyway we especially it being Mother's Day want to honor the new life that's come into our midst. Trevor Jacob Pendley and was born this week. My kids gave me permission to share a few blog entries that my wife put in. Uh, our blog has kind of become our scrapbook for over the years with pictures and with some quotes from our kids that are sort of uh, you know part of our uh, Kratz lore. And so I want to share a couple of them and Riley and Logan gave me permission early this morning to uh, go ahead and share them and they are for our pleasure this morning. This is These are quotes that came about three years ago and when Logan was about five and Riley was seven. Logan and Riley were in dialogue and a serious spiritual theological dialogue and Logan said, Riley, when God eats, he doesn't get any crumbs on himself, does he? Riley said, yeah, but he doesn't get hungry very often. (laughs) Then, uh, you know, Judy was driving around in our van that we used to have and she said yesterday I watched Logan who was 5 at the time lean forward in the van and very tenderly and sweetly rub Emmy's head and thought how sweet just as I heard Logan say once mama has the babies she won't hold you anymore Emmy <laughs> wow some that's some love here we go Emmy Emmy and Logan in dialogue. Emmy says, I am not a human being. Logan says, yes, you are, Emmy. Emmy says, no, I'm not. Logan says, yes, you are. You're a human being, Emmy. Emmy freaking out now says, no, I'm not. I'm not a human being. I really don't know what the context was for that. Maybe it was like she thought human being instead of human being. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe she thought Logan was calling her mean. Who knows? Here's Logan, the theologian. For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. That was at age four. (laughs) Emmy, jealous of our homeschooling that we used to do, said, Mom, did you know that the ABCs belong to everybody? (laughs) That was Emmy walking into the room. She kept getting shushed by Riley. Anyway, one time I was out of town on a Sunday morning, and uh, Judy brought the kids home for lunch, and upon returning home, uh, she said, I asked everyone at lunch if they missed Dad today, and a chorus of yes was all around, Then Logan said, but... Church without dad went a lot quicker. (laughs) Back in the lower 48, uh, around the bedtime prayers, Riley prayed, Dear God, please let it snow tomorrow, but if you choose not to let it snow, then please don't let Logan have a bad heart. She was kind of blaming it on him, I don't know. Because sometimes he does, and uh, I have a bad heart as well, amen um let's let's see a couple more couple more here's another deep theological moment uh logan interrupts uh the the story time and says mom is god the church and judy says no logan says is god everything she says uh no that would be called pantheism but god is a spirit and he is everywhere logan says what's a spirit well, in, in a person, it's the part of you that thinks and loves other people. And, and Logan cuts her off and says, And if you're good enough, you get power, superpowers, right? <laughs> maybe, I think, uh, you know. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's thinking about the millennium. I don't know. All right. One last one. This is uh, Judy and Emmy. When she, Emmy was two and a half. M, how many gods are there? Well, there's one god. Judy says, that's right, in three persons, right? And she's nodding in agreement. The father, the son, and then Emmy interrupts, and the parrot, I guess for the spirit. Uh, Father, son, and the parrot. Anyway, but we've corrected that since then. Okay, all right. Proverbs 31, verses 28 through 31 is where I'm going to focus our attention. And this morning, I want to focus the sermon on the women of our church, on you women. I want to just talk directly to your hearts um, as moms and as spiritual women in our church, and how much um, I appreciate you and just applaud you, and I just want to, from the word of God, praise you in our midst. Verses 38 to 20 to, I mean 28 to 31, from Proverbs 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. You know, there are times when, I I know it would be hard for you to imagine in our household where my wife uh, gets frazzled a little bit. Every now and then she'll get a little bit frazzled, especially around dinner time. Can you relate? And I'm all thumbs in the kitchen. Uh, Unless I'm washing dishes, I really don't know what else I'm doing. Can't even really successfully achieve macaroni at this point. And so my job is to try to ease the tension in in other ways. And so I've creatively sort of forced uh, verse 28 into the moment where we uh, rise up and call mom blessed. And if you do it tactically. Tactfully well and tactically well, then you can can cause a frazzled mother to melt. This is what we do. I I say, hey, kids, you know, when she's her back is turned in the kitchen, I say, hey, kids, let's rise up and call mom blessed right now. Now, I know this is corny. Look, it's our corny, so just leave me alone. But I say, hey, let's do it. And right as she turns around, kids standing on chairs, you know, all of us at once, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. She melts, we have dinner. And and to, to date, it's worked every time. So, um... I'm happy with that. Hopefully I haven't jinxed the whole thing. But here we go. Proverbs 31. It depicts the real beauty of a woman. The inner beauty of faith and godliness. And this is the kind of value that you find in a woman that is praiseworthy. And the Bible is not ashamed to praise women. Neither should we be. I think sometimes we're afraid to receive praise, right? And we think, oh, that's not spiritual. It's not spiritual to be praised, but but the Bible is not shy about praising others. And in our text here, praise is repeated three different times, verse 28, 30, and 31. Women are valuable, and women are praiseworthy. I want to share two reasons why. Two reasons women are praiseworthy. First of all, you are praiseworthy because you love God more. You love God more. I kind of leave that dangling on purpose. You love God more than everything else. That's why you're praiseworthy. You love God more. A woman who loves God more than the world, more than everything else, more than whatever delicacies the world is dangling in front of her, she says, no, I love God more. This is a woman who is not naive. It's a woman who is not naive, and we find that in verse 30. Look to the... The sort of middle of our text here. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain to this woman. To this woman. She's not duped by the world. She's not fed in her heart by the world's approval. By what the world praises in women. She's not fed by the externalism, the superficiality. The things that the world says are wonderful about women, that doesn't faze this woman and shouldn't phase you. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. These things are empty to her. Now, to really understand and connect with this woman, who she is, what kind of woman this is, you need to understand who wrote this proverb and who inspired this proverb. Now, we know the Holy Spirit inspired it, but look back at verse 1 of chapter 31. These are the words of King Lemuel, and it says an oracle that his mother taught him. In other words, these are the words penned by a king, but these are words that he's just repeating that his mom had taught him long ago. So the wisdom really is from the mom more than the king. King Lemuel, by many scholars, is known to be the artistic name of King Solomon. So this is, for many, King Solomon's words. Now, if this is King Solomon who wrote these words, then who's his mom? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba, as you know, was David's wife and was an adulterer with King David. And if this is... King Lemuel, who is Solomon, and this is Bathsheba's teaching to King Solomon. That we understand that these words are coming from the heart of a woman, of a mother, who was given grace. Who was given grace for her sin. Who, who understands what it means to love God because she was blessed and graced by God. A woman who now is filled with wisdom from life experience and filled with forgiveness for what she had done. Look at verse 3 in that context. It says, Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. That's motherly advice to this king saying, Don't throw your life away by going after the wrong woman. Don't do what your father did don't do that. Instead, look at verse 10. Find an excellent wife. She is far more precious than jewels. That's advice. These are lessons from her failures given to a king. To find this kind of woman who surpasses all money, all wealth, all riches. If this is Solomon, he's a wealthy man. And she's saying, look, set your, heights, your sights higher than wealth and money and prestige and power and lust and all that goes with that. Look for this kind of person for your life. Sounds like good advice for you singles who are sitting here. Please don't check out on today's sermon. I want you to look at a passage like this and say, I want to be virtuous like this kind of woman. And husbands, or, or single men, I should say, I want you to look at this passage and think, I want to marry a woman who is like this. These are the character traits of Godliness. A woman who is praiseworthy. Let me say this as well. You women who are sitting here, we're going to go through this passage in Proverbs 31. I don't want you to think that I'm saying you have to live up to all of these standards in your own strength. The Bible never calls you to be supergirl spiritually. It's calling you to see this model as something to shoot for and live out by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible is always challenging us to do. It gives us a standard that is beyond us, so we live for it by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, just like Bathsheba would have, recovering from her sin. Again, verse 30. She's not naive. She's not duped by the world's flattery. She says, charm is deceitful. There is a lie that's out there that says, I need to live for approval. I need to fill my heart with other people affirming me. It's a common lie that women fall into. And they if you believe in this, it'll make you empty and it will, it will turn the lights out in your eyes. Well, she's not duped by this lie and she sees that living for approval would be utterly empty and disappointing. The world promotes that popularity is a need in people's life. People need to be esteemed emotionally. But you know what? Jesus wasn't popular. I mean, he drew the crowds, but ultimately they left him. As a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he he walked alone, he led alone often with his band of disciples. He didn't live for popularity. And this woman, being Christ-like was not duped by the world's lie that she needed popularity. She saw through the superficial. She says that beauty is vain. It's empty. Ecclesiastes 1-2, it's probably one page over on your Bibles. It says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's what Solomon wrote. He understood this. The word vanity just means empty or it's like the wind. It's like trying to catch the tail of the wind. You can't do it. He's saying to live for the flattery and charms of the world, to live for external beauty—it's vain. It's empty. It will hurt you. Now, I went to public school. Some of you can tell, you know, that I went to public school, and uh, you know, blame them. No, I'm just kidding. I, I loved my public school. It was—it was a good education. And uh, but there are there are some lies that are promoted in the public school system that you are well aware of. Uh, they they promote secular humanism and evolution and multiculturalism and public school teachers will sometimes call you to doubt God and they'll take you down the wrong road. And I will just say this: I really did um, enjoy my public school education. I enjoyed my friendships and relationships there. But I was around a lot of sort of false teaching. But my parents drove me back to the Bible again and again. And they made up the difference in what I was being taught in public school. And so I was protected in that way. And I think that that's, that's really the duty of parents. But what, what was more dangerous, I think, than these kinds of teachings in the public school was the lie that was promoted that you needed to be popular to be happy. That you needed to be charmed by the world. There were many people I knew in my public school environment who had sad eyes, who were empty inside, where the lights were not turned on and they invested all kinds of time and money in trying to be cool and trying to be accepted and trying to be affirmed. And I know that even in the Christian school environment, that's a big problem too, where, where people aren't focused on the Lord and living for the Lord, and they, they focus on themselves and invest in the wrong way. And they believe the lie that they need to be affirmed. That, that goes beyond school systems, though, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's just in our society. And, and if you live for the world's affirmation, it will be sadly disappointing. And by contrast, I saw people while I was an unbeliever were sort of the outcasts. They would meet early in the morning before school would start and they would pray together and they were Christians. And they had the lights turned on and I had nothing to do with them before I became a Christian. But once I became a Christian my senior year, I knocked on the door one morning and joined their prayer meeting in the public school and the lights were on. And all of a sudden it didn't matter as to whether or not I was being affirmed or approved. I just was enjoining myself with other Christians and enjoying my life together with them. Well, this woman, as verse 30 says, is not charmed and deceived by the world. You know, even in Christian college, I uh, would see some people who would live for approval and they would live for Christ. And they tried to do both at the same time. And that's such a confusing way to be. I knew uh, a girl who used to get up at five in the morning to beautify herself for the day at college, and I always was trying to reconcile, if I went to bed at four, getting my homework done, how in the world could I get up at five, you know, and especially the woman with the curling iron, you know, that just seems dangerous, like, you, you, you know, the, the burns that would be rough, okay, anyway, it was the late, early 90s, late 80s, so curling irons, you understand, okay, anyway, all right, we'll just move on, uh, the Bible at the same time does not, it does not condemn beauty, it does not condemn beauty. And I just want to put that in, that Esther and Sarah were lauded in the Bible as being beautiful. Abraham, when he came to Egypt, he was concerned to protect his wife because he knew that she was going to be known as beautiful. The Egyptians saw Sarah was very beautiful, and, and that was a good quality. It was something that was applauded in the Bible. Esther, she won the beauty contest in the story. But what's more redeeming than external beauty is the hidden person of the heart, as 1 Peter 3 says. And that's what's really applauded here in Proverbs 31. This woman is not charmed by the lie that she needs to be affirmed by external beauty. Instead, she fears the Lord. Look at the second part of verse 30. A woman who fears the Lord is praised. Now, fear is a theme throughout the book of Proverbs. You can see, you know, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that's repeated in the book of Proverbs. But I think sometimes we get confused and we think, what does fearing God mean? Does that mean we're supposed to shrink back and be afraid of God? Like, we can kind of approach Him, but we can't really enjoy Him all the way? No, not at all. Fear and faith are part of a two-sided coin. In other words, to fear God is really also to delight and enjoy Him. Now, we respect the Lord, we reverence the Lord, but we rush to the Lord as his child. Fearing God is not a negative thing at all. It's liberating, it's freeing. It puts back all of the emotional energy that's lost when you live for yourself. Instead, when you're living for God and you fear him with a full heart, you're enjoying him. Verse 25, look at that in Proverbs 31. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. This is a woman who fears the Lord, and she's laughing at the future. She fears God, so she doesn't fear the future. She's not worried about circumstances. She's not anxious about life. She fears the Lord, and it's a delight to her soul. It's an example of this. The Israelites at the red, crossing of the Red Sea, they had fear and faith at the same time. Exodus 14 says it this way, Israel saw the great power of the Lord against the Ed- Egyptians, so, they, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Nehemiah prayed for God's servants and said, they are those who delight to fear his name. What a great phrase, to delight to fear his name. It just all is meshed together. Who's ever heard of uh, the great Puritan theologian Matthew Henry? Matthew Henry, a few of you. He was a minister in England in the 1800s, and he wrote a single-volume commentary on the Bible, and he's quoted often. Here's a great quote where he was spinning out of these verses in Proverbs 31. He says, "...there may be an impure, deformed soul, soul lodged in a comely and beautiful body. Nay, many have been exposed by their beauty to such temptations as have been the ruin of their virtue." their precious souls. Now watch this. But the fear of God reigning in the heart is the beauty of the soul. That's what's beautiful about a woman. That's what's beautiful about you if you fear the Lord. She's praised for this, the end of verse 30 says. Now we're answering, why is it that you are praiseworthy? Why are you worthy of praise as a woman of God? First of all, You love God more than everything else. You're not duped by the world's lies. You're fearing God instead. And secondly, because you fear God, your life is bearing fruit. Your life is bearing fruit. And people see it all over the place. People, when they see your life, are compelled to praise you for it. That's what's happening in Proverbs 31. Now, first of all, we see in verse 28 that her most intimate circle of people and relationships, those people are the ones who are praising her the most. It says in verse 28 that her children praise her. Her children rise up and call her blessed. I know that we're not supposed to talk about being praised, but you know what? The children cannot contain themselves. These are kids who, who know that their moms took care of them. They know that their moms loved them and spent time with them. Through thick and thin. They see their mom as more precious than jewels. And they know her best. The children in your life know every nook and cranny of who you are. They know who you are behind shut doors, don't they? They know when you've been strong. They know when you've been spiritual. They know when you've prayed with them. They also know when you've melted down. They know when your life has been tough and your faith has faltered. And they love you anyway. That's what a child knows. And these children are rising up and calling her blessed. It reminds me of the hulking athletes that you see on the bench when the camera pans over after they've done a good play. That, I don't know that I've ever seen, hey dad, hi dad, great job, thank you for teaching me to pass the football, dad. Never happens. Never, I've never seen that. It's always, hi mom, hi mom, hey mom because they know who really took care of them. And in some instances, they know who really taught them to throw the football. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but the children rise up. Now, what are they doing when they rise up? This is not just a posture of tradition. This is not the bailiff saying, "All oh, rise, you know, and you just do it perfunctorily, or the lady comes to the table and the people rise. It's not just that. It's a solemn act of respect, it's an endearing action towards a mom to say thank you and make the mom happy. First Samuel 17 is where um, David had killed Goliath. And after he killed Goliath, the troops rallied for battle. And it says that the men of Israel rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. They rose. It's the idea of, of really being deliberate to do something. On a sad note, almost by contrast, in the story of Joseph from Genesis 37, do you remember the brothers, how they, they put Joseph in a pit, and they, then they ultimately sold him, but they told their father, Jacob, that Joseph, who was Jacob's beloved son, had been killed by wild animals. And so, so Jacob was very, very sad, and he mourned for many, many days on end. And it says, all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him. It's a very deliberate act to comfort their father. That same sort of deliberate act is for joy here in verse 28, towards the mom, pronouncing happiness upon her. This is the intimate circle. And the the text moves from 28 into verse 29. At the end of 28, though, where the husband joins in to praise his wife. He sees the children where they can't contain themselves blessing mom and wants to join in. We did that, we did that this morning at the breakfast table. You know, I was kind of rushing around, sort of getting ready for church and thinking on things. And then I look over at the breakfast table and there are the kids unfolding the cards that they had made special for their mom. You know, poems that they had written and things. And it just, it inspires you as a husband to join in to, and to focus on mom and all of what she's done and all that she means to the kids in the household, right? That's what's happening with this husband at the end of verse 28. Her husband also, he praises her. And verse 29 gives us a window into what he says. It says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Not a bad verse to quote to your wife. You surpass them all. Also, he's pronouncing... Happiness. He's saying that this woman shines. In the world of black and white, you stand out in color to me. That's what he's saying. saying you are supreme. And the language here is the idea that the husband is like a madman in his expression to his wife. You know, if, if you men do not praise your wives in this way and praise them for being mothers like a madman, you are doing your children a disservice. You need to praise your wife so invigoratingly that your kids blush. If your kids aren't blush, if they're not pinking up in the cheeks, then they don't see that you really love each other in the way that you need to. You need to make your kids blush, and that'll make them feel secure. Because they know that you love your wife. He says it in direct address. You surpass them all. It goes in the second person there, a direct address to his wife. Now, why does the family do this? Why do the kids do this? Why does the husband do this? It's simply for one reason they realize that all of the virtues that this excellent woman represents were all spent on them. All of her capabilities, all were an investment towards them. And her testimony of this makes them bubble over. They know many things about her. Look back in the chapter. They know that she is loving. They know that she loved them. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. We rise early in the morning and provide Starbucks for the household. (laughs) Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow. That's very applicable for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Verse 27, she looks well at the ways to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy. She's loving. And she's giving. She opens her hand, verse 20, to the poor and reaches out to the needy. Verse 15 again. Provides food for the household Portions for their maidens. She's giving. She's also resourceful and skilled. She seeks wool, verse 13, and flax and works with willing hands. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. My wife had to do that this morning with this button, you know, even on Mother's Day. Because, hey, it just wouldn't have happened otherwise. I just can't do that sort of thing. Anyway, some guys can. Verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. She's resourceful and skilled. She's creative. I mean, how many times are moms and wives needing to be creative in the home to make something work, to cobble something together? We don't have any food in the house, and then all of a sudden there's dinner. How did that happen? I don't know. But she found something in the freezer and thought it, and something happened, and all of a sudden dinner was there. It was great. And, and she's done that for us. And I know that you have the same experience in your home as well. She is healthy and beautiful. Verse 17 and 22. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's in shape. She's, she's working out to have endurance to be able to run the race of taking care of her family. Verse 22. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She dresses herself in beauty. She's entrepreneurial. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. This is a woman who's entrepreneurial. She's making investments. She's, She's trying to win more money for the household, some income. She's investing well. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. And she delivers sashes to the merchant. So she's on the go. She's not just at home as a homebody. She's not, you know, just home watching the talk show, right? She's busy about helping her household succeed, but she's also out there entrepreneurially um, gaining income, gaining um, a, a provision for the home creatively within her own situation. She's tenacious. Look at this. She's tenacious. Verses 14 and 15. She is like the ships of the merchant. Now, you know, that metaphor could be taken too far, right? It's not always a compliment to call your wife a ship, right? But but I think the idea is more this. You know, women today, what, what? They typically drive SUVs, all right? And they're getting in their ship. Whether they have two kids or six kids, a lot of women are driving their big vehicles. And, you know, they're going to Costco or Sam's Club and they're coming back with a big bounty of food. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She is disciplined. Verse 18, lamp doesn't go out at night. Verse 27, she looks well at the days of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. There's a lot going on. She's respectful. Look at this one. This is one of the most key, I think, attributes of this woman because she lives with her husband and she knows when her husband is good and she knows when her husband is bad and she knows all about him and yet she has chosen to be respectful towards him nevertheless. Verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She's also wise. Verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Where does the woman get her wisdom? Well, life experience. I understand that. And she can be discipled by other people. But I just want to put a plug in that, women, you need to be reading theology. You might say, where does that come from? You know, I mean, what, what is he saying? I, I don't have time to do, you know, anything. I can barely read the newspaper. What are you talking about? Well. I'm just saying, you need to read your Bibles and you need to study and read practical theology or, or hardcore theology or listen to it online, listen to sermons. Why? Because your heart needs to be filled up and strong. Because you deal with a lot of stuff. You deal with a lot of stuff that we men don't even understand. You deal with, you know, the sort of aches and pains of life that is an entirely different realm and world. And you've got to have heads full of theology, heads full of doctrine, heads full of truth so that you can have a backbone of steel. As you live your Christian life, you do. You need to be wise. You know, you have so much more time with children than the men do. You listen well, you speak truth, you're investing, and you're raising up the next generation of the church like Lois and Eunice did Timothy. And finally, she's optimistic. Verse 21 and verse 25. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. In verse 25, she laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the future. She's got joy in her heart. She's optimistic. She's not a homebody. She's heroic. She's diligent. She's take charge. She's profit-making. She's a wise teacher. She's a philanthropist. She's giving. She's she's involved in all kinds of concrete activity all the time. Not idolizing the superficial, not being charmed to live for herself, to live for her own beautification. She's living for others and she's completely satisfied in doing that. You know, again, if you're not married, you need to be praying towards someone like this. You men, pray for someone that exudes these qualities. Someone who loves God more than you. And also, if you're longing to raise children in this way, and perhaps you've not been able to have children, or or the Lord hasn't provided yet, or 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 your children perhaps are already grown and they're out of the home, perhaps down in the lower 48 or other places, invest in other families in the church. I say that as a conflict of interest. I've got kids that you can invest in right now in my home. <laughs> we have got a couple that we might just farm out for a while, whatever. It's all good. But you know, we're part of the household of faith and we need to help each other. And, and your soul that may be is aching for children and aching for this kind of interaction should be fed on your sacrificial service in the local church what better place to invest than here well the point is that the children who know this mom most of all could not contain themselves they rise up and call their mom blessed and then the husband follows suit and he says you surpass them all and then the wider circle begins to catch wind of what kind of woman this is. This woman is special. She's stand out in the community. And this is sort of an Eastern, you know, ancient community where women were not praised publicly often. The men were in the gates. But, but this woman is praised. Look at verse 31. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is a woman who not only has has gained wealth for her household, but more importantly, she has the wealth of reputation. She has a great reputation in the community. She is far more precious than jewels, verse 10. And the the community knows about this woman, and she's praised in the gates. This is a woman who uh, would be fit for a king. Fit for a king. This is the queen. I mean, this is what the mom of a king is recommending for her son. A woman fit for a king who exudes these virtues. And there was a woman that was like this, and her name was Ruth in the Old Testament. She actually was literally praised in the gates. Ruth 3.11 says, Boaz was redeeming her as a foreigner in his community, welcoming her in, and he knew that she was an excellent woman. Verse 11. And now my daughter, what an endearing way to put it, now my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Worthy. Same idea here in Proverbs 31. You might say, listen, that's great for Ruth, that's great for others in the church, that's great for this woman in Proverbs 31, but nobody's ever praised me like that. You don't know my husband, he doesn't talk, he doesn't do those kinds of things. You don't know my children, they would never stand up and call me blessed. Well, let me just give you a bit of counsel from God's Word. As Christians, we ultimately can't live for the praise of other people. We want to live for God. We live to fear Him. And ultimately, God knows your heart and God will praise you in the gates. Even when you're not praised here on earth. The gospel is our hope. And the gospel tells us that Jesus will praise you in the gates of glory. Matthew twenty five twenty one says that your master will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As a mom, as a wife, you want to live for that affirmation, for that commendation. Otherwise, you're living in performance. You're trying to, to earn this opportunity to be praised, and that's not biblical. It's biblical to praise other people. We should praise our wives. We should praise our mothers. But personally, we can't live for that praise ourselves, but we can know by faith that God will one day praise you in glory. A few points of application. Number one: don't seek praise. Seek to be praise-worthy. Seek to be praise-worthy. Proverbs 27:2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. You've heard that verse, but it's so true. So important not to live for the praise of man. Number two, trade self-pity for sacrificial service. Many of you could be tempted on a morning like Mother's Day morning to feel sorry for yourselves for many reasons. A variety of reasons, a variety of heartache could be in the room just because it's hard to think about what you think you deserve in this world. But remember, and I've said it throughout the sermon, this church is the household of faith. This is your family. And if you serve the family of God, you can fill your heart with joy and you very easily, and quite possibly, will be praised by others in the body of Christ. We've been ministered to since we've come to Anchorage. We've had many mothers come to us with meals and, and help us in many ways. And that's a wonderful ministry, and it shouldn't just be for us. It should be spanning throughout the church body because it's a way to bless people both ways, younger to older, all the time, interacting in the family of God. It's very natural. Number three... Blessing others has an effect. You know, blessing your wife will have an effect. Blessing your mother will have an effect. Don't underestimate the power of the phone call to your mom. You need to call your mothers if, if they're still living and tell them what you can tell them to bless them. You say, but I can't bless my mom. She's not a Christian, or or she's, you know, she's out of God's will. I can't say anything kind to her. Well, you need to. You need to find something to say, something about how she provided for you, something, anything, and do it. And you might say, well, look, my mom is long gone and is, um, is dead, has passed on. Well, fill your heart with blessing by blessing other people in the body of Christ. Find someone who is an excellent wife and bless her. Honor the women in our church, and it will bless you back Blessing moms will encourage them to excel all the more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning, and I pray, God, that we can honor and dignify the women in our church, those who are fellow heirs of the grace of life. We thank you for the truth, that we know that that these women in our midst are redemptive, that they have powerful ministries, ministries that are uniquely designed for them. As co-equal heirs, they are such, but also uniquely designed to do things that the men cannot even participate in, cannot even touch. So God, I pray that you would honor these women today, and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.